0: Good morning and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dan Rose. Glad you're with me on the Love Well podcast. And this week we are wrapping up um, our last uh last little recording here on the book of Romans. And uh we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up with uh one of the man, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. And uh and how can I talk a little bit about how it connects uh over to our Sunday conversation that we'll be having Uh, this coming Sunday evening at missional community, uh, which I, I hope if you listen to this podcast, uh, and you live in, in the Ypsilanti area that you know that you are welcome and invited to come join us on a Sunday night, six o'clock at our house. Um, if you want more details on, on when, you know, where all that good stuff, uh, hit me up on Twitter at Daniel M Rose and, uh, and I will fill you in. um, but missional community is a great time. We, we eat dinner together. We spend some time discussing the scriptures. We pray. We take communion. And uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, just a, it's just a great time. And uh, we, are, we are wrapping up Romans uh, this weekend. And um, so uh, that's announcement number one. Announcement number two, uh, just something to keep in mind. Tuesday nights, uh, my friend Mike and I host a conversation called Doubt on Tap. And that is located at uh, the Tap Room in downtown Ypsilanti. It's this open-ended conversation where we we talk about things that matter. And the people that come are from all walks of life. Uh, This is not kind of your standard pub theology kind of thing where people are coming and espousing uh, just Christian ideas and and that kind of stuff. Uh it is, man, it's it's atheists, it's agnostics, it's Christians, it's non-Christians, it's religious people from different stripes and backgrounds. And we talk about we talk about the issues that, that matter to us. And we are in the midst right now of a series of conversations uh that we're taking themes from movies by Bill Murray. And uh tonight we're gonna be talking about uh Groundhog Day and uh the themes from that, and it's just a, it's just gonna be a lot of fun. So uh, Tuesday nights at eight o'clock uh, at the tap room in downtown Ypsilanti. Hope you'll come out for a conversation and and hang out hang out with us. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what's that's kind of what's happening, kind of what's coming up. And uh, so let's let's get to it, shall we? Let's dive in here. Uh, this Sunday we're going to be talking about Romans 12, 1 and two, which I don't know uh, they they might be the most Some of the most quoted Bible verses ever, right? Um, You go. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so, uh, you know, we the question really comes, you know, so how does this, how does this connect? Because this has been, this is, this has been the way that I've been teaching this. And the thing that struck me as I was studying and preparing and, and getting ready to, to dive into Romans, um, is that the second half of the letter really connects in a lot of different ways to the first half. There seems to be some parallel passages, uh, that, that really lay, lay things out. And, uh, and it struck me how, how Romans 12, 1, and 2 is really embedded in the ideas that comes from uh, Romans eight eighteen through 30. And the reason for this is that Romans eight eighteen through 30 uh, really kind of talks about what's coming and, and how what's coming uh, makes what's happening right now in our lives today uh, pale in comparison right uh the 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 hope of of the future makes uh the the hard the hard times the suffering the pain the reality of right now uh it, it really shapes that and allows us to to enter in to the sorrow of life and and push through and engage with the sorrows that that come from from living in a in a world that's imperfect from living in a world that is that is broken, and and it allows us to have hope. It allows us to have optimism. It allows us to see the world differently. To see a bigger picture of the world. It, it allows us to to really have a uh, a redeemed imagination, where where we're able to we're able to see things uh differently. It's, it's almost as if we, we are able to to take the, the prism of life and, and turn it and see the light refracted differently and it, and it gives a different hue and a different glow to things. Because we have a sense of what's coming. We have a sense of the future. Now uh, in this in this section here in Romans chapter eight, uh the Apostle Paul uh he starts off and he writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, um, one of the one of the commentaries that I've that I've been diving into, he translates that that first little bit there. I consider with to I reckon, I reckon. You know, I think about it. I, I think, I ponder, I consider, I reckon that the present sufferings are not are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And you go back, you know, and this connects all the way back to chapter one, and and this whole idea of of glory, um, God's glory that is that is being revealed that we see that we're able to connect into that we're able to tap into uh, as as we engage as we engage with the divine, and what that points to is this future reality, this future reality that that we will live that we will get to live. Uh, with God, in God's perfect creation, for eternity. Now, this is not some sort of escapism, right? Like, th- this is not, not. Not what we're talking about. If we're just looking for escapism, there, there's there's better ways to to find escape. There's there's easier ways to practice escapism. Um, you know, you can you can go smoke up or, or do what you need to do, drink up, and uh, and you can escape. That's not what Paul's talking about, right? He's not talking about this idea of, of escaping the world. What he's, what he's pointing to is the world is hard and life is hard and and there's no escaping that reality. Paul is a realist. There's, there's none of this, hey, follow Jesus and everything's going to be perfect and easy and wonderful. That's not at all what what, what Paul is, is trying, to, trying to convince people of. No, what Paul's trying to convince people of is that, yes, life is hard. And following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus is hard, especially considering their context, right? I mean, you know, the, the Romans, the, the Jewish Roman Christians and the Gentile Roman Christians, following Jesus was hard. It was hard in, in relationship to one another. Uh, because of the the racial tension that existed between the Jews and Gentile Christians there was it was hard because of the tension that existed between the Romans and the Roman state and the empire and and Christians because to follow Christ meant that they could not follow Caesar to follow Christ meant that they had to live a life that was subversive to all of the values of the empire and so, you know, as as they engaged out in the world to follow Jesus could have co- it was costing these people everything. It was costing them livelihood, uh wealth, status, honor. Uh and and so following Jesus was was a very difficult proposition uh for the people that that Paul was writing to in our day and time, uh especially in America for and I'm going to speak as an American because that's that's where that's where I live. It's really the only experience that I have. To be Christian is is to be in a place of power and and is and is to be in a position uh, where you're able to leverage s- systemic power. Um. You know, really, up until, I mean, there's there's never there has never been a a president of the united states who has been a public non-christian um i think many of us who, who follow christ uh can look and can see um our current you know the the current administration and really ask uh you know are you where, where this where this person is in regards to their faith because there doesn't appear to be fruit and uh even though even though he espouses it and so um but even then, he still felt the necessity to take this banner and wrap himself in it, because, because in America, it's very difficult to rise to positions of significant power without at least having a Christian veneer. And so we have a hard time grasping, tapping into the reality that uh, that these folks that these folks are, are are experiencing in the Book of Romans. You know, our neighbors who are who are Muslim. Uh, might have uh, might have a better sense uh, of what's happening here because they live in a world where just the way they dress um, just the way they talk some of the words they use set them apart and, and and make make them look different and sound different and so many many of us judge them many of us exclude them many of us push back and, and that's and that's that's how how these early christians experienced life when they followed jesus it was it was it was a difficult proposition the world did not get easier for them when they followed christ the world got significantly harder and suffering uh became more intense and more regular it was it was an everyday experience for them uh whereas you know for us you know we suffer it seems like we we suffer when big things happen, but but for the but for most of you that are listening to this to this podcast, we don't know suffering. I don't really know suffering. I know I know some sad times. I know some times that that broke my heart. Um, but I really don't know what it is to suffer, not on a daily, ongoing basis. I really don't. And my hunch is that most most of us don't. Some of us may, some of us may, but for the most part, we don't know what it is to suffer, and so I think sometimes it's hard for us to connect with Paul when he says something like that. You know, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, um, and and what he's, what he's getting at here is is that when the hard times do come. And for these folks, it was daily. But for us, it, maybe it's a season in the future that, that we're going to walk through. We have to hold on to this bigger picture of glory. We have to hold on to this bigger picture of what of what awaits us and what is coming. And, uh, and he goes on to say, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So, what happened? How did this happen? How did, how did, how did the creation get subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it? Um. Well, this is where we have to go back, right? We go back to the beginning. We go back to the beginning of the story. We go back to, to Genesis. Um, we go back to the story. The, the recounting of Adam and Eve, when humanity sought to be God, humanity sought to to grasp hold of the reins of, of all things, the knowledge of good and evil. We said, "No, we want to be like God. We we want to take God's we want to take God's throne. We we want we want to be God. And when we did that, we we broke it all. We we, we thrust it. We thrust things into, into brokenness. And and so we wait. We wait. You know, the creation waits. The whole of creation is waiting. It's waiting for the children of God to be revealed. And what does that mean? Well, that, that's pointing again to this future. It's pointing again to this hope that there will be a day when history is culminated. And, and there will be a new, a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, all of this will be redeemed and restored. The, the, the creation will be, will be made new. And, and so we, we trust in that, we hope in that, uh, just, like, just like the rest of the creation. It says, we know that the whole creation, verse 22, has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So we are we are hoping, we are hoping for the full redemption that is going to come. Right? We are saved but not yet already saved. It's this already but not yet that we see throughout the story of, of the people of God, where Christ has done this, right? There, there is this there is this reality. Uh, Christ has saved us. Christ has Christ has set all things right, but we 're not fully experiencing that yet there's there 's not a full experience, and so we hope for it and and, and paul's paul 's point is is pretty straightforward here right isn't that you don't if you have something if you have something in your hands already you 're not hoping any longer and so that's what we that 's what we 're doing we, we are humanity 's been saved he 's been humanity 's been saved by the work of Christ on the cross. That's done, he said it. he said it is finished. Redemption was bought. the power of sin and death defeated and and so now 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 we we have a responsibility to work towards that reality right this is This is what we're hoping for because we have the first fruits of the spirit and, and this is an interesting this is a this is also a really interesting thing. Back in, in, ancient, in ancient times, uh, the requirement for people was to give first fruits to, to God or to their gods. Right? You would have a harvest and then you would take the best of your harvest and you would sacrifice that to your God or gods. Well, here uh, with the coming of Christ, there's been, a, there's been a flip. Things have been switched. No longer are we the ones giving firstfruits. Now it's God. God is giving first fruits. God, God is giving us something. He's he's providing us with something. He's providing us the first fruits of the Spirit. He's, He's giving, it's almost like he's giving us this taste of heaven. We can experience heaven right here, right now, today. Think about that. Today, here, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your school, wherever it is that you are, you can taste heaven right here, right now. How do we do it? We do it by loving well. We do it by loving our neighbor as ourself. We do it by loving our enemy as ourselves. We do it by engaging this way, by, by, by setting aside self and, and embracing the other. We do it by, by bridging differences with people. We do it by, by serving someone. We do it by putting someone's needs before our own. All of these things, all of these things allow us to experience heaven right now. All of these things allow us to taste the first fruits of the Spirit. When we practice love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, when we, when we practice these things, we get to taste heaven right now. These are the first fruits. These are the first fruits of the Spirit. and We, we get to experience it. We get to taste it. Uh, right now, and, and the great thing is, is that we don't have to. We don't. We're not doing it alone. We don't have to try to gin this up in 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 our own strength, right? He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So, the Spirit of God meets us in our weaknesses. He meets us in our weaknesses, and Paul uses prayer as an example. Because so many of us, I mean, so many of us, we pray, and it feels like our, our prayers might be bouncing off the ceiling or whatever, right? I mean, it seems like when we pray, I don't know about you, but at least for me, sometimes when I pray, it's like, man, is there anything happening here? You know, do my prayers even matter? Does When, when I when I say these words, when I talk to God, does anything change? Well, the the good thing... The the good thing for me, the thing that I'm starting to embrace more and more, the hope that I have, is that, you know, I, as I pray, uh, I don't even know what I really need to be praying for, what I really ought to be praying for. But the Holy Spirit, He's He's meeting me there. The Holy Spirit is meeting me in my prayer, and He is He is praying. He's praying along with me, and He is praying. He's praying, in ways that um, that are. Effectual. He intercedes. He steps in the middle. And says, "Ah, well, we're going to tweak this, right? We're going, to, we're going to help get this to where, to where it needs to be, so that so that I'm praying in accordance with God's will." And so more and more, what I'm realizing is is, is that old is that old saying: um, "I don't pray because it changes God. I pray because it changes me." And that's that's what happens. The more I pray, the more I'm finding that I'm changing. That that there is a, a conforming. Of my mind, my heart, my will, uh, more and more to to what Jesus seems to be about—love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the things that are that are that are happening. And he goes on. He says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Whew. We could spend hours talking about this, this bit. And people have spilt um, so many pages of ink uh, about these questions of what does it mean to be um, foreknown? What does it mean? Uh, to be predestined, called, justified, glorified. What Paul's pointing out here is a process that takes place, and and he's talking about how we we go through uh, these this this process of salvation, um, where God is where, where God is at work in the lives of people, and and he sets he sets before them uh, this this. This vision, this passage, this this trip, if you will, and uh, and we know where the destination is. We we've been we've been predestined. We know we know the destination. The destination is glory. The destination is is a new creation, um, a new earth, eternity with with God. And and so he calls, he justifies, and and he glorifies. You can't you can't. You can't be hanging out in glory unless you've been glorified. It's just kind of the natural, logical conclusion, right, of, of where things are going to go here. And we can get caught up. You can get caught up in the minutia of this. You can get caught up in the, you know, how many angels are are, are on the head of a pin kind of thing. And, and if you want to talk more about it, you know, hit me up. Let, let's talk. Um, but I, I'm not going to spend time. I don't want to spend time talking about um, about that because at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. I don't think it really matters. I think I think the best part of this is the idea um, that God is conforming people to the image of His Son. You know, I mean, gosh, how great would that be if, at the end of the day, if at the end of your life, you know, you're at your people are at your memorial service, and the thing they say about you is. Oh, Dan, Dan was conformed to the image of Jesus. Dude, that's, that's a life that I want to live. That's what I want people to say about me. That's what I want on my tombstone. I, I want Dan Rose, Daniel Rose, conformed to the image of Jesus. That's, that, that's what I want. Oh, my friends, could you imagine, could you imagine if we lived this way? Could you imagine if we had a community of people who are conformed to the image of Jesus? People who lived their lives self-sacrificially. Ah, what a beautiful, what a beautiful place it would be. What a beautiful world this would be. So let's, let's try. Let's make an effort let's 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 begin this process of 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 looking more like looking more like Jesus it starts it starts with this reality it starts with this reality that that our present suffering is incomparable to the future glory that awaits us if if we can look at the suffering, if we can look at the hard stuff in our lives and we can look at the end and say, oh, if I get to go through this and I become like Jesus, that is glory. That is worth living for. At least I think so. So, um, let's, let's go for it together. Let's go for it together. Let's Let's no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world. But let's, let's, be, let's be conformed to Jesus, to the image of Jesus. Sound good? Let's do it. Until next week, love well, my friends.